Today's episode of Put Down Your Chainsaw has a tremendous amount of explicit language. If you consider yourself an irresponsible parent, please make sure to share this with your children. Welcome back to Put Down Your Chainsaw, the podcast where we discuss important comedy albums and singles and say things that may or may not be true about them. Some facts are kind of true, but most of them are for entertainment purposes only. If you are curious about the actual facts of the subjects we cover, please independently verify them and do not rely upon us as a source of factual authority. I am Justin Asher. I am Jacob Godby. And we are both experts. At several things, none of which we will name here. You'll have to check the notes and blurb as it's distributed for further information as to our expertise. Last episode, we were in the middle of Bad, the first and seminal record by... The Lonely Island. Yes. So this is Bad Part 2, if that's how we release it. <laughs> Just, but that's how it feels to us. It has been two weeks since we talked Bad Part 1. We've both grown... Immensely. Both physically and emotionally. You know, it's affected how I see the first half of the record. Two weeks wiser. And this is sort of an old way to do things. You know, this is the B-side of the record, technically. If this was released in the vinyl era, Like a Boss would be leading off side B. Or even the cassette era. Most of the references from this album are actually much older. There's only really two contemporary styles on this first record. The Lonely Island are... Old school. They have an appreciation for the things when they were children, but also things from before that. There the, was nothing before. Yeah. And on this seventh day, God created the Lonely Island. And then on the eighth day, he rested. It's a common misconception that on the seventh day, he rested. There was stuff, but it was mostly like lava and... Andy Samberg. And single-celled organisms. Spawned from a fish... Uh, evolved legs and walked out of a lake and that fish was Yorma Taconi and quickly followed was Akiva Schaefer. Andy Samberg, he's already a human, well he's maybe a chimp at that point, fucking working with tools and stuff and he shows these fish leg dudes how to build fire and that's when the Lonely Island really started taking over the world. Spoiler alert, the final song, Bad. They do talk about their actual origin story. Yeah. Obviously divergent from the actual facts, which you were giving us a little bit of a portrait of. You so. can save some time next time you need to say actual facts and just say factual. Facts. We're going to start using it like that. We're coining the term, cha-ching, trademark that, That's put it on a t-shirt. Right. You could try to go to the Library of Congress right now, but this audio is time stamps. You court. will lose in court because I am a lawyer of law. One of your many qualifications, which we will list on the blurb. Like a Boss. I'm going to talk about the origin story of this song a little bit. It's pretty unknown to a lot of people. In 2006, The Lonely Island were asked to make a documentary for a now-defunct large business. We're not going to name that business because uh, we we could get in trouble for it. The name of the business editor's note was Utecta Castellon, a semiconductor manufacturing firm. So they saw the digital shorts. They liked The Lonely Island's work. They asked them to make a documentary about the company. Like a Boss is unedited interview audio from their discussion with the 
CEO of the company. They realized afterwards the humor inherent in this guy's telling of the story. So the uh, video that you saw on Saturday Night Live back when this came out was dramatization. The guy found out about it, that they had made the track. He did eventually see the humor in it. It led to a lot of uh, therapeutic realization for him. So they amicably agreed that he would share his story, but at least maintain his professional public face. He didn't want to be attached to this crazy of a expose. They agreed they could use it as a dramatization without any reference to him per se. It's all the facts verbatim that he said. And you can see why he didn't want his name attached, you know, shitting on Deborah's desk. Deborah, right. by the you way, know. they didn't change that name. It's actually Deborah who worked at the company. There's a little bit of foreshadowing mm -hmm. from uh, 2017, 2018 here when you got the harassment lawsuit, the uh, crashing into the sun, bombing the Russians. It's all stuff that's happening now. The tape that they made of the original boss made it around in sort of the underground MP3 yeah, circuit. Yeah, like the LimeWire. Late 90s. Oh, even earlier. So that actual song got out. A recently successful Beck, the song Deborah. Debra. He actually used the name Deborah oh, because okay. he heard that and he's like, oh, that's the funny name of the early aughts. This is a woman who's named after Deborah Messing, after mm. Will and Grace. This is a very young Deborah who gets hired at this company because of her insane intelligence. But inexperienced because of her age. It's telling that. She's named after Deborah Messing. Will and Grace, it was a phenomenon. Yeah, there's a lot of interlocking themes with this. The timeline makes it significant because the Beck single that came out before Like a Boss actually came out. They had spent so much time planning it out and then making the video for it. It came much later, but the underground version was around for, you know, a good eight years. I want to talk a little bit about the lyrics, mostly uh, the phrase, Like a Boss. It's repeated a lot. It's the recurring mm -hmm. motif of the song. There's another recurring motif. He talks about meeting a giant fish and fucking its brains out. On their second album, Turtleneck and Chain, in the song After Party, he also meets a giant fish and fucks its brains out again. Lonely Island mythologists like to think that it's the same fish. I think it's a tribute to Troy McClure. You might know me from... Meeting a fish and fucking its brains out. The famous Troy McClure-centric episode that explored oh, his character Oh, a fish deeply. called Selma. Where he marries Selma. The reason he had Selma as a beard, he actually liked to have sex with fish. Or did something crazy with fish. It involved fish, but you didn't know what it was. All of this a precursor to The Shape of Water. Phil Hartman got a producer's credit on that. Posthumously, of course. They did the right thing. I laugh every time he says, shit on Deborah's desk. You're Mon not Deborah. You might I'm not Deborah, yeah. There's mundane things in here, like eat a bagel, no mm -hmm. promotion. Very, it depends on the bagel. That's true. I, I've realized that as I'm growing up, is uh, life is not about the big victories, it's about the small victories. You wake up and you have a bagel that's just like, it hits you for some reason, and that's really good. Wow, when I was a kid, it would have been the most boring. If I could tell my kid self that... A really good bagel could make my day. Yeah, right. I'm if be you think honest. that's the way your value system I like works. bagels. Okay, yeah. I'm just that's all I'm saying. You, okay, fine. And enjoy your bagels. I enjoy the last line of the song. Uh, uh -huh. Now I'm dead. They dryly ask the CEO. I'm sorry. You just say something about sucking your own dick and crashing into the sun. No, that ain't me. It's the first of the two interviewed songs. Uh, they're kind of similar, too. An interesting newer character that contextualizes that all their references are old, whereas the, well, okay, interviewer who's just going along with it is right. a bit more of a early aughts archetype. There's a trend with millennial comedy, myself included, a lot of these like writerly minds who, who don't perform as often or, or are not as adept at throwing themselves into character. The premise of having a wacky situation 
and then one person in it going like, whoa, this is weird. Like SNL's been doing it a lot recently. And I know this isn't like a new premise, but it gets used a lot of like, hey, they're playing fucking beach volleyball on the moon. And then some normal dude in a space helmet with a space suit comes in and he's like, hey guys, this is really weird. Why are you doing this? And that is the joke is that there's a normal person in this extraordinary situation. It's a straight person. Like I want to say straight man, but it's 2018. Millennials have escalated these situations to such a high amount of absurdity Yes and no. Should I say straight man because it's an old archetype? I don't know. I'm going to say straight person, but that sounds like a person who is... Straight. So Which one was it? Abbott or Costello was the straight man of there? Just call Bud him. Abbott. His straight guy work is a good person and he's being accommodating, but he gets exasperated pretty quick. In the mid-70s, Saturday Night Live National Lampoon style, they're trying to be accommodating, but in a parody of a newscaster way or in an interviewer's become more plastic. Bud Abbott, he doesn't get as exasperated as quickly, but he starts a little smarter, still loses his shit. The interviewer in Like a Boss and in the Natalie Portman one recognizes crazy and doesn't get exasperated. Because this is the new reality millennials are living in. So very, very knowing, normalizing of irony. Anything you want to say about the production? Yeah, a lot. Do it. Get in there. This album is formal chiasmus, a symmetrical form, started in Greek poetry, supposedly. The parts of it, as it's divided up, and in this case it's divided into songs, mirror each other around a center piece. And the center piece in this album is like a boss. Everything, as it moves away from that centerpiece, either towards the front of the album or towards the back of the album, are symmetrical. The next song, We Like Sports, is symmetrical to the Shrooms track, and then Dream Girl is symmetrical to... Boombox. It's the center of this identity crisis. The center, the lowest point of the soul. Itself symmetrical, reaching the highest estate that a soul's evolution could be. Supposedly, a boss, you're the highest power. Crash into the sun. When you're a boss, you're the lowest spiritually. It's the centerpiece for the album around which it rotates. This is a parody of Dirty South style trap before it was called Trap officially, I think. It was really just kind of called Dirty South, and it wasn't as Atlanta-focused. It mm-hmm. was more Memphis, New Orleans. Atlanta has made Trap more psychedelic, face tattoos. There was a person in my church in high school that made a Christian parody called On the Cross. A parody of a parody? Yeah, it was all about the crucifixion. That's like, pretty deep. Do you have take a copy some water of it? on the cross. Make some wine on the cross. Eat bread on the cross. Crown of thorns on the cross. Forgive Judas on the cross. Cut with a spear on the cross. <laughs> now I'm dead on the cross. Uh, Next to other thieves yeah. on the cross. Pontius Pilate on the cross. <laughs> I like this song. Do we have anything else to say about this? No. Let's move on to We Like like Sports, sports. and we don't care who knows. I really enjoy these. This is Yorma and Akiva. Well, Andy makes an appearance in the video. This is a series. These characters are just called the two guys. Every single one of them is a very awkward, stuttering rap. This song features the second use ever of the word cunthole on an American album. The first, of course, is Chubby Checker's legendary out-of-print cunthole twist. That was 1963. It was a hit on on the underground scene obviously it didn't make it over to radio if you were lucky enough to get a second encore at a chubby checker yes. show usually you would get the cunt hole twist because it was for the hardcore twist fanatic and it's so called because sometimes women had troubles doing it twisted your cunt hole 
Really? Was that what it was? It's well disguised with double entendres, but now that you say it, that really makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a complex, twisting motion. That's not funny. That sounds horrible. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Yeah. It's, uh, what's funny is... Just that sounds like a really painful thing. The way that I'm... Uh, trying to make it through this. Right. Well, let's go back to the chiasmus then. The disillusionment, the mirror image of shrooms, the hollow victory of video games. It's really about patterns, the core architecture of the universe, also of our inner verse. In shrooms, you basically have the hallucination as a recognition of patterns that are inherently there in your perception. Associates them with video games, which are external physical things. So it's kind of a slave-making pattern recognition in the hallucinatory state. Most definitely. Whereas sports are the opposite. The challenge of the body, the mm -hmm. patterns of the body, the body adjusting itself to move within nature. The sweat on the body. Sometimes overcoming the physical and in other ways working in harmony with the physical. And it associates that with the abstractions of rules and constrictions and loyalties and aesthetics that we have with teams and arbitrary aesthetic choices like drinking whiskey and smoking cigars. It's all part of a lifestyle, a patterning of one's physical existence mm -hmm. that is unnecessarily constricted. And The Lonely Island would revisit the physical topic on their third album on a track called We Are a Crowd. We talked a little bit on part one, especially during I'm on a Boat, about fragile masculinity is the wrong phrase to use. But The Lonely Island appearing cool by poking fun at knowing that they're not cool. What it was deemed cool in the 20th century. I drink whiskey because I like the taste. You think it's bitter, but I think it's great. I also drink whiskey and we smoke cigars. Don't believe me. Smell our cars. This whole album is, is poking fun at the fact that they're not cool. But in doing that, they transcend it and the Lonely Island becomes cool. It, it uh, pierces the veil of masculinity. Themes aside, we like sports. And we don't care who knows. Has a very consistent genre reference to the mid to late 80s. It's a very old school beat, and the most indicative part of that is the machine gun snare. That which was a big popular for dance hall. I don't know who did it first, but you also get artists like Ice-T, Boogie Down Productions. Ice-D, Ice-P, Ice-W. Don't go there. Okay. The rapping style is novelty rap rapping. The dance is your chance. That's not a novelty rap. What? That is a funny rap by an actual rapper. good hip-hop artist. Okay. Shock G was an actual rapper. Fine. As soon as rap was publicly recognized as a form that people were listening to, there were novelty tracks by people who weren't rappers trying to do a rap. Sort of maybe so, like the first Beastie Boys album has some tracks like that, where they hadn't quite honed their skills yet? Well, they're actual rappers. Right. I'm talking about the Honeymooners rap, where oh, okay, okay. I'm talking about the rap and Duke. There's a Ronald Reagan rap. Okay, fair um, enough, fair enough. Yes, yeah, Spuds McKenzie rap. is like, you're getting the idea here. Yeah. The Super Bowl shuffle. Oh, yeah. The Chicago Bears. And so that's what this flow is, that boasty, rapid machine gun snare. They get Evil E to do the production. Ice-T's producer. Not to be confused with Evil C or Evil D. Really? That is just... Sorry, I didn't alphabet. realize that the alphabet was such a <laughs> cherished institution. Welcome is to the it? podcast where we take down the alphabet. Take it away, Dream Girl. Dream Girl. We kind of disagree on this song. A little bit. I enjoy it. You don't really like it. That's not a disagreement. It's just a feeling a, that we have. It's a factual. I can't really explain why I like this song. I just do. Part of it is that I was young enough when I first heard it that I didn't understand any of the overarching themes or the... the 
the underarching themes. The underarching themes. You, you know, the, the I didn't get a sense of the song past itself. I just went, ha ha, thick skin, strong nose like a rhinoceros. That's hilarious. Sort of thing. You know, I, did, I didn't mm-hmm. see this as a gruesome portrayal of another person. My favorite parts of the song are when it gets more absurd and they start talking about checks mix and how the person looks like a bag of trash. They spend the first half of the song thinking up these fairly complex ways to describe this person and then they just completely drop it and call them a bag of trash. Nora Jones is the one that guests on this song and sings that part there. Just a big old bag of trash. Open clams with both feet because you're ambidextrous. I I think you take this a little more seriously. Well, that line is pretty crazy. This song is less describing another human being and more describing some sort of... But that's just one line. The rest of the stuff can really happen. Basically, I'll explain my beef to this. I think it's a very visceral and realistic portrayal of severe mental illness. And for that reason, I don't think it's that funny. Just because I have seen this mental illness manifest in people, it is well-written, it is evocative. I would prefer it maybe be presented as a serious song, like a Porter (laughs) Wagner, or like a Merle Haggard, or The Handsome Family. Artists that have a real insight into mental illness and can treat it with the literary setting that it deserves. Their talents of being able to describe this situation and this character are devalued by laughing at this person. It lacks the academic rigor that I would prefer. Right. The half-eaten squirrel hanging out of your mouth, that's another thing that elevates it a little past just making fun. I do like to know that squirrels die. You got your cell phone ring set to sex in the city. I can't explain why that's funny. It just is. One short leg, you got the Santa Fe lean. But yeah, no, you're right. It's just kind of a fucked up song. That's it. Love to watch you in the backyard when you go out to dig. It's dehumanizing. Yeah, talking to your shoes like it's your friend. Yelling at the walls, make pretend. I always feel safe when I'm in your flesh mitts. Just to be clear, I and this podcast do not support any sort of censorship or you should feel ashamed for laughing at it. Oh, God, no. This is far from the most it's problematic a, a, song we'll ever talk about. <laughs> and I totally see why you find it funny. And it's the biggest... Hysterically realistic. ...production on the album. It's it's the most three-minute pop rap track. I think it's one of the most well-crafted songs on the album. Not so much as a comedy song, but as a song itself. It strikes me as a deep cut. One of the deepest cuts in the Lonely Island catalog, actually. What is it parodying, though? I don't know. I'm not sure either. I still like it, but it definitely has slipped. Well, sorry to destroy your innocence. That's fine. To be honest, you know, this album came out like 10 years ago. 2009, and Bad came out. It's definitely aged better than a lot of stuff from 2009, you know? It fails the Bechdel test. Let's talk about Ross Trent. <sighs> but ding 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 ding. Whoa. Center myself for Ross Ooh, Trent. Oh, damn. Okay. This features peak Andy Samberg. He's a performer who likes his noises and to use his voice in annoying ways. And all of those noises are copied. Andy's voice isn't the most fit to be copying. Ah, those. Okay. Um, I did a deep dive. I put this track through a spectrogram and did analysis. I noticed that what would be considered pitch and rhythmic cadence of dub chanting or lover's rock or straight up dance hall. He got all the pitches and the rhythmic cadence perfectly, but his voice slides to the pitches in a sort of like portamento and arrives at all of the pitches late. So he kind of like, ah, yeah, and, 
Right. But he's yeah. actually going to the right notes. New champion sound. Mm. Oh, fire pond, Babylon. You have to be a fan of Lovers Rock, Roots Reggae, Dance Hall. Also, like, know some banal facts about Jamaica. It shows that the lead character, Ross Trent, one of the things that makes him a boob is he just doesn't distinguish Rastafarianism and Jamaican yeah, culture. But still, this is They're the most the intelligent song on the album. Well, it's the most deeply researched. They got Sly and Robbie to play on it. A DVD of cool runnings. Or that just mentioning Red Stripe. But a ding 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 dong ding dong duck. They did end up rhyming. Talking about bald heads, the reference to murder she wrote, and yaka 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 yow. Also referencing Night Nurse. I'm sorry, all I have to say about the song is the song, apparently. And that's okay. There's I a, know um, every word to it, but uh, sometimes I just skip it because I'm like, I don't need to hear that again. It's kind of annoying. Do you know all the references? No, God, no. It's really, really satisfying if you're a fan of all of these styles that they're referencing because they go very, 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 very deep. So have you ever heard Night Nurse? Mm -mm. Gregory Isaac's song. For those of you who've never heard Night Nurse, I'll wait for you to go do that. Welcome back. Gregory Isaac is ill with love. He's lovesick. It's an emergency. And he needs a, a night nurse to come and take care of his love illness. Fire upon Babylon and fire upon all body boy. Yeah. Body boy, body boy. If you know what a batty boy is, it's, it's, a, don't. it's a homophobic slur. Oh. In Patois. Batty boy is a gay boy. Burning gay boys is actually something that is done. That wow. So that is a deep dive. <laughs> yeah. And it's delivered in such a, like, celebratory... Well, unknowing. He's what? an idiot. I never got that. That's pretty heavy. Yeah. Subtle things like, are you there, Ja? Grubbing. The Judy Bloom? It's Jesus. a search for spirituality. Are you there, God, it's Margaret or something? A, I thought that Margaret was just search. getting her period and tied to talk to God about it. I'm assuming Ross Trent is going through the same thing, and that's what led him to Rastafarianism. A Judy Bloom drop. Let's smash as many references into a song. It doesn't matter when yeah. they are or what they're about. It's with multiple levels of significance. And they're doing this in sometimes two or three days mm -hmm. while working on on SNL. This originally aired as a digital short. Dig in a box. That was too loud. Thanks, Zach. I can no longer talk to my neighbors. Dig in a box. That was my senior prank. We all heard this song and we were like, wouldn't it be funny if we came to school with our dicks in boxes? We all went to hand in our test, right? And our teacher opened the box to get the test. And, and there was a test and a dick? Yes. And you test all went to jail? And testes. And we served some time in jail. Oh, so you did the full scrot in a box. Yeah, that's one thing that this song, it doesn't address. It's just the dick in the box with the testicles hanging behind the box. We went full everything. It's easier to keep it on your pelvic region if the scrotum is in there as well. It's more ballast and yes. more counterweight. Exactly. That's the fulcrum of the hole. In the instructions, that's when he doesn't say dick. He says, put your junk in that box. It's called dick in a box, but it's actually the entire scrotum if you want to do it properly. Promoting his latest album, Man in the Woods, Justin Timberlake got asked about this song. He admitted that doing this song led to an addiction to putting his dick in other people's boxes. He would break into their houses, he would steal their mail, he would hoard boxes and cut holes in them. He got such a severe paper cut on his penis that he had to get treated for it. He had like two or three weeks that he wasn't able to put it in a box. And that recovery he did in Montana. In While which, making Man in the Woods. Yeah, so you're talking, you know, nine years of dick box addiction. And, and coming to terms with that. Because a lot of people wonder what the fuck Man in the Woods is about. Well, That's well, fair enough, because yeah. it really lacks direction. It really doesn't seem to be about anything. From the perspective that he was recovering, specifically from having his PP, uh, he learns to love paper cut. putting his dick in his wife's box instead of in his neighbor's. The uh, template for it is the slow jam. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. I just saw my note in here. He admits that it got him into trouble several times and that his penis is still covered in scar tissue. And then in parentheses, that I wish you saw. This is a Red Hot Chili Peppers reference. Scar tissue that I wish you saw. Sky Captain Mr. With the birds, I'll share this lonely view. And it's funny now, thank you. One of the biggest comedy songs of all time. Dick in a Box was... It was Massive. pretty fucking great. Backstage uh, at the CMAs at Dick in a Box. That's referencing Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears, which is wonderful when they had those crazy like nudie suit things on, yeah, or, but yeah, were like yeah. Bob Mackie costumes. They were just beautiful, you know, at the height of when we really would just want to see the two of them fucking as, as icons. Regardless of how cosmopolitan their popular music is, they are from the country. It's a mirror of Lazy Sunday, and it is opposite sides of the coins of the identity of the soldier and the lover. Keep coming back to male identity, but in its essence, this song is really about being unable to separate affection from physical self-gratification. Not only is the only thing that this dude have to offer is his cock, the most base form of physical existence, but he assumes that the woman only wants her own self-satisfaction. You have the fire at the beginning, which is the male burning rage of centered physical desire for pleasure. And it's said in the 90s slow jam, he authentically. Color me bad. I see that brought up a lot. All that stuff was based on Between the Sheets, the Isley Brothers track in the late 80s. Very Should familiar. all go back and listen to that, but there's other styles of slow jam. I just like to think about how many babies have been made to this song, just on repeat. If I were a parent, and I made a baby to dick in a box, I would not tell my kid until they were much, much older. I would name them after the song. Hey, Dick Box Jr. Dick Box Godby. We are here to celebrate the marriage of Catherine and Dick Box. Let's move on to The Old Saloon. My favorite track. It's a great down. like minute and a half interlude. It seems kind of like a ode to mixtapes and their general sense of chaos, and it's fun. I did not get this when I first heard it. As I got older, I was like, oh yeah, this one's pretty great. Also the definition of a deep cut. But oh, so satisfying. And, and it should be a top cut. This is one of those tracks 15 years from now. They're going to look back and they're going to be like, that's actually the one that's the flyest. Lonely Island don't perform live very often. They've done it a few times, but there's almost no way you could recreate this. A lot of the jokes are production jokes. They're playing like movie western people, but they're also kind of playing real western people, at least fact-wise, but they're delivering it as if they were these well-elocuting actors in an old western. Yeah, they're juxtaposing that with phrases from modern mixtapes. You know, they're just crazy. just go and have sex shows. with whores. Brand new! <laughs> yeah, on my and, horse? And a, you bet you on my horse. <laughs> That's the thing in the old west times. Real matter of fact. And there's also fighting going on in the back. Yeah. You hear smashing and stuff. And they use the word engine in it. Which is a racial slur. Yeah, but you know, that's the thing in Ethnic the Old slur. West times. Flipping the jib with Calamity Jane. DJ I don't have anything to say about this song. It's, it's just perfect. I'm Tiny Tim and it's almost Christmas. That's crazy. Yeah. The absurdist. Still same time period. Tiny Tim in the Old West? 1800s. Tiny Tim like the dude with a ukulele? No, in a Christmas Carol. In, Victorian. Uh, having a wonderful time. That Tiny Tim. So the Old Saloon is just a perfect <laughs> work of art. It is brief. brief. In this case, brevity Beautiful. is the soul of wit. I don't the know soul. if wit is the right word to describe this song. Brevity is the soul of just doing it right. 
punch you in the jeans. This one's fun. Quick origin story. While visiting his parents for Christmas one year, Andy Samberg's mom showed him a pair of her old bell bottoms that she had lying around. He had such a visceral reaction that he punched the jeans and his mom was holding them up, so he also damaged his mom. Their relationship would not be reconciled until the release of the future song, Mother Lover. I am disappointed in this song. A little bit, or a lot bit. Just because of the production? Uh, yeah, they didn't match the vocals with the beats. This beat is the early 90s New York beat, like DJ Premier style, Pete Rock, early Tribe Called Quest, low-end theory, Q-tip style. Yeah, Q-tip, U-tip, and V-tip. Okay, now it's funny. Now <laughs> you've beaten it into me. It doesn't have a flow that matches. It doesn't have a cadence that matches it. The flow is smooth. And yeah, I it's Smithish very here, smooth. Which is fine. That happens. That Gonna is a revise thing. Revise or Levi's with physical harm. You would not have two lines limericky style couplets. That's one of the defining features of the cadence of early 90s hip-hop in New York, defying the couplet. I like the proximity of this song and the track listing to Dick in a Box, because when I punch a gene, I like to imagine a face. The fly is the nose, and the balls are the base of the face. It's only one track between the two songs. It's interesting you hear a song glorifying Dick's in a Box, and then this track, punching genes so hard they're smashing testicles. It's like having a child who's way too young to be hearing Dick in a Box hear Dick in a Box and then have them explain it back to you what it's about. There's a couple, you know, like semi-curse words in here, but this is also one of the cleanest Lonely Island songs. It's supposed to be a little kid, which is why it's the mirror of I'm on a boat in a chiasmus. It's just the innocence of being at sea, the innocent enjoyment, which you don't really understand, but you can describe it how awesome it is. What's the LL Cool J quote in here? Doesn't matter which blah, 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 just as long as you're in them. That is a track called Round the Way girl very 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 good LL Cool J track like a girl with extension in the hair. LL Cool J, it's good that they bring him up at this time because in the search for a male identity, you could do a hell of a lot worse than modeling yourself after LL Cool J. Let's move on to Space Olympics then. This was a digital short as well. Some more foreshadowing here. This came out 2009. Elon Musk tried to hold the first Space Olympics in 2016 and it went almost exactly as bad as this song. It was kind of like it. the fire festival yeah. of uh, intergalactic sporting events. Yes. It wasn't the first. The first actually being that guy who dove from space and did a skydive from we space. We might have to make a t-shirt that says it was like the fire festival of intergalactic sporting events. <laughs> but it wasn't the first. That should also be on the shirt. One of the weirdest parts of Space Olympics is not any of the details in almost all of the song, but the very end where he references Justin Timberlake. You do it for the love, my love, and there ain't no woman that could take your spot, my love. It's just a time reference. Incredibly dated now. The rest of the song is about Olympics in space. <laughs> it ends with that, which is inherently flawed because it has nothing to do with the rest of the song. Giving it some sort of a genre reference. It's not fully clear what they're parodying. It's weird. It's like space epic pop. It's Euro epic electro pop. Like Eiffel 65. Or even like Swedish house mafia, sort of. It's fine. Drug tests are mandatory. You're a winner. The song's too long for the humor. It's ironic. The song is too long for the main joke, but the funniest parts are some of the extraneous elaborations because the song is too long. Tied with Like a Boss for genre newness. Whatever the genre is, it's either a Timberlake mid-period pop piece or over-exaggerated Swedish House Mafia epic synthesizer Euro pop jam. Has the thick synths and the futuristic vibe going yeah. on. Andy Samberg having fun with autotune. It did get chosen to be the official theme for next year's Space Olympics. That's ironic. Musk is trying it again. Lonely Island has been hired to re-record it in a good way. 
instead of a bad way. They're celebrating Lauding. the space of the, yeah. They're going to keep the middle part, like drug tests are mandatory, still going to be in the song because it's true and it's funny. It's helpful. But the part where all the events get canceled, they're mm. going to cut that. Everybody's invited. Musk says he's going to just shoot the whole planet into space. So we'll see how that goes. He really is P.T. Barnum. Greatest show on heaven and earth. Natalie's rap. Problematic child star Natalie Portman wrote 100% of the lyrics of this song while on a coke binge in 2007. Asked about it after several stints at rehab, she claimed to not remember writing, recording, or hitting Chris Parnell with the chair, breaking his jaw in several places. This is our second shout-out to Chris Parnell on this album. He's on two tracks. An underrated talent. He's pretty highly rated. I don't know. I like Chris Parnell a lot. He's not rated as highly as you hold him in esteem. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't think that he's always used to the level of talent or range that he possesses. I bet there's a German word for that. Holding someone in esteem higher than the general consensus of esteem is. Uh, like an eight-syllable German word for that. Natalie's rap was a big deal when it came out. I didn't really listen to it when mm -hmm. I was kid and getting into this album because I found it so foul that I just kind of skipped it. It's the same way I didn't get I'm on a boat. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is just profane. I didn't get that it is funny. A lot of references to pooping in this one. It was Portman's decision to perform the song and video, Coke Addled, because of her dedication to authenticity. So she's method. Dedicated to the craft, yeah. And uh, poor Chris Parnell just had to pay for it. But again, he played the contemporary straight person, being aware of her crazy, just trying to verify it, um, but not getting flustered. This is a mid-80s, late-80s throwback. Very consistent production. So mm -hmm. like a Early Ghetto Boys. It has a reference to Easy E. Not to be confused with. Just please say it. Go for easy it. Easy A, Easy B, or Easy C. Mm -hmm. The I Wanna Fuck You Too reference from Gangsta Gangsta by NWA. Turning a reference on its head. They say, We love you, Natalie. Or she breaks it down that what they're really saying is, We wanna fuck you, Natalie. Wow. I do love the line, all the kids looking up to me could suck my dick. That's just her, like, you know what? Fuck all the people that loved Attack the Clones. <laughs> and the Phantom Menace. And the third one. P is for poor man. P is for pussy. I'll kill your fucking dog for fun. A Lonely Island trope where they just eschew cleverness for bluntness. And that brings us to Incredibad. Okay, Incredibad is the origin story, or a origin story, of the Lonely Island, and how they came to be known as the Lonely Island, why the album is titled Incredibad. Each song is a journey of the three rappers. They're just hanging out as their kids. An alien comes down to them and says that it needs their seed to restore their people. I'll just read some of the lyrics. Store in our seed, yo, I think he means sex. Man, I'm a virgin. We all are. Bet. You know the little plastic megaphones that change your voice? That's just what they're using for the alien's voice. It's, you can change it to like robot or chipmunk or alien. I had... No, this, those small little things have the really low sample rate and really low bit rate. So there's a lot of artifacts oh, yeah. and dithering. In That's that. just what it reminds me of then. It's good. It takes you to a place. And but they, it is inaccurate as a production analysis. Yes. They have sex with this alien all mm -hmm. at the same time, which is the joke. One in the front and two in the back had it locked up like a Chinese finger trap. I'm about to explode. Yo, son, me too. Three-way climax. Best friends forever. That's the story of the Lonely Island. They all three had sex with an alien, and they successfully... Climax at the same time. They climax at the same time, and the alien magic. returns, gives them a wish, and they wish to be the best fake rappers in the universe. The alien names them Incredibad, and then Lonely Island. And this song introduced a wave. It was a fad back in 2009 when this album was released. It was called Area 69ing, where teenagers broke into Area 51 and 69 with all of the aliens that they found. 
It, it also led to a theory that this was portrayal of a Babylon working ritual. It's a conspiracy thing. Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard had done this ritual in, in the Joshua Tree Desert to release the Whore of Babylon, the woman in red. Yo, California is weird. The little known fact is they actually did it with a very, very young Graham Parsons, singer from the Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah. But that was just extrapolating by the conspiracy community and had no actual validity. Incredibad is a fantastic album. It's knowledgeable. It's steeped in references. It's cool and being not cool. It's not even my favorite Lonely Island album. I think it has some of their best songs on it. A lot of rap albums and most sketch comedy-based things are inherently hit or miss. Every Lonely Island album is that. We're here to make those distinctions between whether it's a hit or a miss. But Incredibad is a hit. That's why we're covering it. Season four is going to just be all misses. But up until that point, we're just going to do nothing but hits. Yeah, we swing hard. Season four is not even going to be us. It's going to be really whack, so pay attention to seasons one through three. Who said we're whack? I did on the episode number three. You take it back. I won't. It's all about the old saloon. Maybe music is all about the old saloon. Whatever it is, that is a straight banger. It is flawless from beginning to end. This carries on in the grand tradition of Bay Area rap music having a sense of humor. E-40's funny. Not to be confused with. WXY40. Or WD40. See, I got to participate that time. Where are we? Are we done? Yeah, that's it for Incredibad. Thanks for listening. If you like, please subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Whatever. We'll do all that. Regardless of how sincere that sounded. This episode of Dare to Be a Stupid is brought to you by Stamps.com. That's S-T-A-M-P-H-S. The H is silent.com. If you need to mail a legal contraband, Stamps.com has got you covered. If you're trying to ship assault rifles, explosives, batteries, or cremated remains, Stamps.com has got the back channels to get your items where they need to go. Head to Stamps.com and use the code ASTUPID to get 19.5% off your next shipping order. That's Stamps.com, S-T-A-M-P-H-S, the H is silent.com. People, I am not kidding about how great Stamps.com is. I mailed some anthrax to one of my enemies, and they got it there safely. Did they die? I can't disclose that. Okay. S-T-A-M-P-H-S, the S is not silent, the H is silent.com. If you like this podcast, you're a certain type of person, and I bet you know someone else who will like this podcast for the exact same reasons you do. They're going to be so happy if you tell them about it, plus then you can discuss the episodes together. And if you still want to discuss more, reach out to us on Twitter at PutChainsaw, Instagram at PutDownYour, or on Facebook at PutDownYourChainsawPod. Leave a review on iTunes. It helps them prioritize us, which helps others find out about us. And we want to reach as many people as we can with this bizarre little project. Down Your Chainsaw was produced and edited by Jacob Godby and Justin Asher. Recording, mixing, and music was by Justin Asher for mnemonic recordings. Also, thank you to Genius.com. Special thanks to Lonely Island and every performer who made this album we bullshitted about so very special. And lastly, thank you to the nurse who made time in her busy evening schedule to take care of Gregory Isaacs in his time of need. We'll see you next week. Mnemonic recording.